As you leave the city of Neverwinter and head north along the Sword Coast, you come across the quaint village of Deerward. It's a small village full of people who are quite content to live their quiet lives, avoiding everything that has to do with the adventures of Neverwinter, except for their money. Here in this town, you find the buildings are dilapidated and yet homey. You also find a tavern owned by an old dwarf named Madmeal Pebblearmor and his halfling friend Torin Bilberry. There's a small sign hanging from it in the shape of a goat head. Written around it is the name the Waiting Horn Tavern. As you enter, they find that they have a fine selection of ales, along with a basic menu of foods aimed at helping a weary traveler with a few gold or copper to spare. There are several booths around the sides of the room, a few scattered tables around the middle, and the bar itself is at the head of the room where the kegs of ale are tapped and ready for the barkeep. Torrin Bilberry to pour into your tanker. There's a door to the left that heads back into the kitchen. And as you, young traveler, enter the bar, you see a pair of adventurers sitting in a booth off the right side of the bar. And the older of them waves you over and invites you to sit and pushes a tankard of ale in front of you. Ah, I see you got my note, he says and you found your way to the tavern. I bet you were wondering why you were here. But then again, perhaps not. This is a very particular place that attracts a particular crowd. Most of those are about to enter an adventure like you are, or they just have the need for a good ale. This here is your beginning of a great adventure into the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Come. Come, weary traveler, sit a while, while we share with you the secrets and tales of the worlds you can find and experience through the magic of storytelling, through the voice of me, your dungeon master, and players in this game. Welcome back, player. Welcome back to the, the Waiting Horn Tavern. Now, if you've been following along with us, we've been covering a good portion of how to create your character. We've gone through the basics of everything. We've even gone through the basics of the races and the classes that you can choose from to create your level one character. And now it's going to be going a little more into detail with the ability scores. Now, your ability scores are going to be what's determining your strength, your constitution, your charisma, your wisdom, your intelligence, your dexterity, and there are a number of ways to do this. Now, you could go with what's called rules as written, where you actually will roll your dice to get these numbers, or you can do the standard array. Now, in the very first episode, I talked about the standard array and how that just gave you the six scores you would need right there to go and determine what your ability scores would be. Now, if you want to go rules as written, this is actually in there. 
most people will sit there and go, no, rules is written. You take your dice, you roll your dice, you do this with your dice. That's how you get your scores. But according to the player's handbook, that is the main way. But you can also do the standard array. It is in rules as written. Now, if you like doing things the random way, which can make things a little more interesting and a little more fun for people, you can take four six-sided dice and roll them. And then you're going to take the highest three numbers and add them together. And you do this process six times, and that'll give you your numbers that you can then plug into whatever score you want them to be. Now, if you want to do this with a little bit less, uh, a bit of random going on with that, then you can use the standard array. Now, the standard array gives you the scores of 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, and 8. These are pretty much the uh, averages that you would get for doing six of these roll types. Now, if you do the more random one, the highest you can get would then be 18. The lowest you could get normally would be 3. So it gives you a lot higher range of scores you can have in there which gives you a, a much wider range of abilities you could do now it's not going to be you roll the first set of dice this is your first stat which would be your strength stat the next one's going to be your constitution it doesn't work that way you just put it in there exactly what number you want in what spot based on what you've already determined what you want your character to be what class you want to be what race you want to be so on and so forth taking an overall look at your character themselves that's where you plug each one of these numbers in and you just assign them however you want. How strong is he going to be? Say the highest you did with the rolling was a 17. You're like, oh, I got to be very strong. Well, put the 17 into the strength. But if maybe if you're doing a wizard, okay, intelligence would be my main stat. Okay, I want to put the 17 into the intelligence then. You, know, you put them in there however you want. You know, you could have a very strong beefy wizard you can actually have the wizard being you know say 17 for the the uh, intelligence and maybe a you roll a 15 the 15 into the strength you do it however you want it to be that after you assign your ability scores then you have ability modifiers that's why you're seeing in some of these uh campaigns people are doing where you have a you know well i have plus two to my strength or i have plus two to this your <laughs> scores that you put into your stats Whichever one you have in there, they're going to have a modifier to go with them. So usually what you do for that is you take your ability modifier, subtract 10 from that, and divide that by 2, and then you round that resulting number down, and that is your ability modifier. So, like for example, they have one here in the player's handbook where they are building a fighter, and they actually use the standard array of the 15, 14, 13, 12, 10, 8, and he puts his highest score into the strength for 15 it's has 14 so on so forth and all that now the strength you take the 15 you minus that from 10 you get five divide that by two so it ends up him having a plus two to the strength for his modifier there and then say he was making it a human then you get a plus one to the stats as well then you would say then have a plus three to the strength so on so forth so that's what you get to if you do like the standard array and those will have your ability modifiers in there. But you can also customize them even more. So, because if the dungeon master decides, you can then also do a point buy. So you can actually add in a little more into those points as well in there. So you can actually max them out a little bit. There's also min maxing you can do, which we can get into at a different time. 
But pretty much this all comes down to the way you want to play your character of where you're actually going to put all these numbers into the uh, ability scores, which then, of course, determines how many you know uh, modifiers you're going to have, if it's going to be a higher modifier or lower modifier. Because the lower the number, the less of a modifier you're going to have. And you can even get into a negative modifier on these things as well. That's actually you know a bit more on the uh, interesting side. If you get an 8 on there, you actually usually have a minus 1 for your modifier, which gets to be a little on the interesting side there too. Um, so like an 8 or 9 is minus 1, a 6 to 7 is minus 2. If you actually do put a 1 into one of your stats there, which I really don't recommend, but hey, if you want to do it, more power to you, your character. You actually have a negative 5 modifier on that one. So just something to keep in mind for that when you're creating your character. But then after you have these abilities and everything there, make sure you also give your character a personality. Make sure you actually describe them, come up with their background, make sure you have everything fleshed out because this is all going to come into play when you play this character in the campaign. For example, like when we're describing what's going on with our favorite character here, Rupert, if I actually go into his character sheet here, there are several things in here that we have to keep an eye on with him. For example, his background. He has a background of being a street urchin. As we heard from him, he's talking about his uh, backstory and everything, how he's raised in an orphanage, but he got kicked out when he, let's just say, you know, had a little bit of unsavory activity there. He became an urchin at a young age. Now, part of that urchin background that he has, he gets this nice little extra piece here and in the, his background where he knows the secret patterns and flows to cities and can find passages through the urban sprawl that others would miss. Now, part of that as well, when he's not in combat, he and any party that he has can travel between ten, any two locations in the city twice as fast as their speed normally allows. So normally, say your speed is, you know, 30 feet, you know, for your move during combat. So normally it would be, you know, taking like maybe say a couple of hours to walk a couple of miles you can actually do it twice as fast because he knows all the different ways to get around through all the back ways and everything. And that also comes along with having the characteristics of your character, you know, um, what gender are they, you know, how color is their hair, what color is their eyes, their height, their weight, their age, all that kind of stuff. But you also have personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws that you can create for your character as well. And this all comes into place of how you are going to play your character. Like for Rupert, one of his personality traits is he hides scraps of food and trinkets away in his pockets. Comes from the urchin background. He doesn't know when he's going to necessarily have his next meal or when he's going to have money for anything. So he hides things away in his pockets, you know, trinkets he can sell, food he can eat, things like that. But he also has certain ideals that he lives by. Like one of his ideals is he helps people who help him because that's what keeps him alive. And for his bonds, he owes his survival to another urchin who taught him how to live on the streets. And we see that also in his back story that was created for him as well. Because there is another urchin that taught him how to survive. Otherwise, Bert probably would not have. But he also has a flaw coming from this background that he had and this desire for gold and money and everything. He sees gold as being a lot of money. And he'll do just about anything to do you know, to get more of it. And that is part of the character. There's all the stuff that you pick for your character. And there's a whole bunch of different ideals, bonds and flaws and personality traits. And it's also different between backgrounds and classes and races and all that kind of stuff too. Like with another character I play in another campaign, he is a half-orc barbarian. And one of the things about him 
is he also you know, likes to you know pick things up and fondle with them, and he sometimes breaks them, and he gets kind of nervous about that, and he hides them away in his pocket, so if he does that. But he also sees friends and people in his party who he's gotten close to, which does take him a little, little bit of time. He does not going to be overly fond of people right away. It takes a while for him to actually warm up to them. But when he gets this friendship with them, he tends to treat them more like little puppies, like people to be protected. And that's actually been coming out evident in a lot of the combat that's been recent in that campaign, where basically he's like, I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to be the meat shield for these other characters, ones that are definitely a little bit more on the weaker side of the party. So he tends to want to protect them a bit more. And that's all what goes right here into the character sheet. That's part of his characteristics. That's part of his personality traits and everything. And these are things that you can then choose for your character as well. And then when you had this whole description and this everything fleshed out, ready to go for him, then you have a character that is pretty much ready to play. Now, you just want to make sure that you are fleshing out the ideas in a way that is something that you're comfortable actually playing. Because if you're not comfortable taking this character into the game and being this character, then you need to work on changing it around to get to the point where it's something you be comfortable being. Because it's going to be you role-playing as this character as you play in the game. Now, if you have a problem with certain things that are played in the game, like if a situation goes away that is not one that you're comfortable with, even though you're comfortable playing your character, somebody else does something that's not quite what you're comfortable with and you're not having fun, I implore you at that point, take it to the DM, make it known, hey, everybody not quite cool with this. This is not the way I want to do things. You know, can we change it up a bit? Can we do something else instead in this situation? And you can do that through role play or you can sit there and say, hey, guys, meta time. Let's, let's, let's talk this one out. You know, this is getting kind of weird. This is doing this. And a lot of times things will change right there at the table. Like, I have actually seen it happen where people have sat there and said, you're right. You know, this is actually not quite the way our characters do it. Let's get back into characters, get back into the way the character should be. And the rule for D&D for the most part is have fun. If you're not having fun, the game's not being played right because the game is about having fun. Friends getting together, new or old friends, getting together, having fun at the table. If you're not having fun at my table, let me know and we'll change it up. We'll make it so that it is then fun for everybody because that is the key important thing. Now, after you get your character all set up and ready to go, it is then time to figure out what kind of equipment that you're going to actually want to have. So, as we talked about in the classes sections there, you can choose to start off with your starting equipment or you can get a number of gold pieces that you can go in and then spend to actually get the equipment that you want. Now, that's entirely up to you. You can do either way. Just remember that your strength score will then determine what the limit is of what you can actually carry because you actually do have a total weight in pounds that you can carry, which is pretty much your strength score times 15. Now, just so you take and get an idea of that, say your character has a strength score of 15, that means that your character can then carry a maximum of 225 pounds. So, just a little, you know, idea there to give you a hint as to what it is you can carry. And as your strength score goes down, 
the less you can actually carry. Now there are some differentiation on this one. If you have a certain item, such as a bag of holding, the bag of holding can hold a lot of stuff, but it doesn't necessarily count towards your overall weight limit that you can carry because it's still just the bag of holding. The bag of holding holds a whole lot, but you know, it doesn't really count towards your weight. Downside to that, if the bag of holding gets to be too full and it gets a tear in it, all of a sudden, poof, everything inside the bag of holding is splayed out at your feet and you now no longer have a bag of holding, but a whole bunch of junk that you have to figure out what to do with. So just keep that in mind with your character of when you go to buy anything or you're looting or doing anything like that. There is a certain amount you can carry. You know, not every DM actually strictly enforces it, but I know quite a few of them will sit there and say, okay, look, you got three sets of armor on you. That's going to be a bit excessive. Maybe you should go and you know, get rid of some of this stuff or sell some of it. You know, something like that. Now, the next part of your equipment, past all the starting equipment or the starting gold, we're going to get into your armor. Now, you have your armor class on your character sheet, which is your AC. This tells you how well you're going to avoid getting hit. So, the higher the number, the harder it is you're going to be hit. Now, things that can contribute to this will be like the armor you wear, the shield you carry, and your dexterity modifier. Because not every character, you know, not every character carries armor, wears shields, you know, or vice versa. Wears armor, carries shields. But your standard base armor class, no armor, no shield, for the most part, is going to be 10 plus your dexterity modifier. If your character wears armor, carries a shield, or both, then, depending on the kind of armor or shield or whatever it is, there's actually a whole table inside of the uh, player's handbook that will tell you how much of a uh, armor class you're going to have at that point. Now, for the most part, it's going to be uh, right around like 11 plus your dex at the beginning of it, and at the highest end, it's going to be 18 for the uh, highest AC you're going to get from this. But then you carry a shield, you get a plus two. So if you say you get padded armor and a shield, the padded armor is going to be 11 plus your dex modifier, and then you get plus two from the shield. So say your dex modifier is two, then you would have a 11 plus two, 13 plus two, 15, which means any character or player or uh, monster that's going to try to hit you has to roll a 15 or higher on their die to hit you and so on and so forth. Now, say you're going to have plate mail. Plate mail is like the strongest one. It's consisting of, you know, shaped interlocking metal plates cover, you know, the entire body. You know, it's basically like the big suit of armor that you normally see knights, you know, wearing in medieval time movies. That right there will give you an armor class of 18. You have to have a strong, you know, strength for that one, like a strength score of 15. You also have disadvantage on stealth checks on that one. It's also very heavy, 65 pounds. But if you're allowed then to also carry a shield, then that would give you a plus two. It means you have an armor class of 20 at that point. So very hard to hit. Pretty much they have to like nat 20 or, you know, dirty 20 every single hit in order to you know, roll to even hit you. So something to keep in mind when you're doing your armor right there. Some uh, races and everything get better if they don't wear armor. Some of them are much better if you do wear, you know, wear the armor. But it's your character. You can actually figure out however it is you want to do it. You also have a weapon you have to wield during this entire time as well. Now, for your uh, melee weapons... You would then use your strength modifier for attack and damage rolls. So say your strength modifier is plus two. 
then you would have a plus two uh, modifier for your uh, melee weapon attacks, for your damage and everything. But if the weapon has a finesse property, like a rapier, then use your dex modifier instead of the strength. For ranged weapons, like your bow and arrow, things like that, you'd use your dex modifier. But then if it's one that has a thrown property, like hand axe, then you use your strength modifier instead for that. So that's where those two things get a little bit on the goof side. And when you're rolling to attack, you also add your proficiency bonus, but only if you're proficient with that weapon, plus the modifier. So like my half-arc barbarian, he's proficient with his great axe, so he gets to use the proficiency bonus plus his strength modifier, which then gives him a much higher uh, bonus when it comes to his attack rolls. Also gives him a much higher bonus with his uh, damage rolls, which makes it really awesome. And after you've gone through all this wonderful stuff, you've gone through your, your choosing your, your class, your race, you've gotten your ability scores, you've described your character, you got all your armor, you got all your weapons, you have everything all set, ready together. What is next? The next step right after all that is simply to play. You take your character, you take your character sheet, you take all your wonderful clickety-clackety dice, and you find a group. And this can actually be sometimes the hardest thing to do because at the time of this recording, we're just getting out of the uh, pandemic of 2020 and all that good fun stuff. So you are trying to figure out, okay, how do I actually find a group? How do I actually do all this stuff right here? And that can be very hard. You have great tools out there like Roll20 and D&D Beyond, as well as uh, Discord and all these other things where you actually have lots of groups getting together and they're playing online. I talk about this uh, campaign I'm in with my half-arc barbarian. That is when it's played entirely online. We have people from all over the uh, United States, up into Canada. You know, we're all getting together and we're playing online. We talk via Discord. We hang out and between the games in Discord, talk about what's going on in there and just exchanging everything we can information-wise about the campaign in there. And we use Roll20 for doing the maps and exchanging dice rolls and all of that wonderful fun stuff. It makes it a whole lot easier to play that way. But there's also the good old school way of you find a local group where you meet at a uh, somebody's house or at a game store and you actually play right there at a table, physical maps, physical people, everything. Either way is great. Either way is fine. And whichever way you're most comfortable playing is the way you should play. And as you play, this character that you just made is going to possibly, if you're making good rolls, get stronger and stronger. You'll be able to gain levels by gaining either XP or by completing milestones in the campaign that then level up your character. And as you level up, your character then gains more hit die. So say you had that wizard with that uh, pretty small hit die number right there. You gain another level you get another hit die. So then you can actually roll that die, add your constitution modifier to the roll, and then add that total to your hit point maximum. And there's also a fixed number that you can also do. That's all right there in the uh, class listing inside of the player's handbook. But for each level, you get that strength bonus on there. And then pretty much you have different tiers of that power for those characters. First tier, which is like levels one through four, you're like you know apprentice adventurers you're just learning how to do everything in the adventuring world so you know the fate the 
threats you'll face are usually going to be, you know, a little more minor. Um, not going to be necessarily overpowering, although that can happen. But you're going to be able to gain that experience that you need to then get into the more powerful levels. Get, more, you know, up against more powerful creatures, but also get more powerful abilities of your own. Like in the second tier, which is usually like levels 5 through 10, then that's usually when like spellcasters gain access to third level spells, you know, such as like fireball, lightning bolt, because with great leveling comes great power, but also great responsibility because if you throw that fireball into a crowded room, we're going to have some issues because you just fried every single person in that room, which can be funny, but it can also be detrimental to everybody in your party if they happen to be in that room. And then as you level up, like from 11 to 16, you've reached a power that's, you know, usually sets you above ordinary people. You know, you're actually seen as being more, you know, heroic at this point in time or more infamous, depending on how you play your character. But then also gives you a lot more abilities and it makes you a lot stronger. So you can actually hold your own a lot better. And then if you're lucky enough to actually become level 17 to 20, then you are truly heroic or possibly villainous. Once again, depending on how you play your character. And you really get to actually then figure out what exactly it is that you're going to be able to get and do throughout this whole thing. Now, with your leveling, if you choose to go through experience points, then pretty much it's going to be, if you look through the table, you're going to have this amount of experience. You've now gone up to this level. And then every little bit for the levels, your proficiency bonus that you have in there goes up a little bit. So like levels one through four, you have a plus two proficiency bonus normally. And this does go up as you go up in level up to a maximum of about a plus six for your proficiency bonus. Now, this whole thing basically comes down to you take your character and you go and you have fun with them. And I'm telling you about all these other higher levels here, but there's no guarantee that you'll actually get to them. That's where some of the chance and the role and everything comes into play because you may get to the point where you're fighting against some creature as a say, level four and you happen to just not have very good rolls and the monster has really great rolls and it brings you down to zero health points, zero HP. And now you have to roll death saves. These are death saving throws where you have to take your 20 sided die on your turn. And instead of doing anything else, you can't fight, you can't move, you can't do anything. You have to just roll that die and if you get less than a 10, then that's a failure. Above a 10, it's a success. If you get three successes before you get three failures, those three successes mean you're stabilized at zero HP, you're just unconscious, you're chilling on the ground, nothing can really do anything for you unless somebody actually comes over and gives you like a health potion or does a spell that heals you some way, some form, raises you up above that zero HP point. Now, if you get three failures, that means that your character is dead. Now, there are some ways to come back from that. You can be brought back to life via a spell, but if people don't have the right tools to do that, then it's time to create a new character. And you have some people who then go, oh, well, I have my identical twin, such and so coming in, and it's the exact same stats, the same equipment, same everything. And if your DM's cool with that, you can actually role play that in somehow. But I have yet to actually really meet one that has been. So it's time to actually create a new character. And if everybody else survives that encounter, then you can usually bring that person in as like the same level. 
but it is up to you and your DM to actually figure that out and make it happen, make it work, because that's really up to them and where you're at in the storyline. And if the entire party goes down, that might just be the end of the campaign. But that's, again, up to the DM. The DM will make that decision, will make that call as to is the campaign going to continue on and just have new characters come in and you all just happen to meet up and you hear this tale of these adventurers, these heroes who'd come in and they'd gone off on this adventure to go and do this thing and they were never heard from again. Or it could be this was the end of your story. It's all up to the DM at that point. And the campaign itself, it could be a very short one. It could be one that takes a long time. You never know. It could just be a real quick three, four session, you know, shorter campaign because you go barreling through and you get just the main objectives done. You go in and you save the girl and you bring her back to the castle and be done. Or it could be, hey, look, side quest, side quest, side quest. And it all comes down to, are you playing your character the way you designed your character to be played? The way you intended and wanted to play your character? Like, for example, if your character is one that is, you know, usually like always going and touching that thing in my bob, absentmindedly picking things up, you know, have that be what you do. Like if your whole entire party goes into a shop, just, you know, while they're doing their thing, be like, yeah, my guy, you know, he's just, you know, we're going to go over here. We're going to, you know, be perusing these shelves over here. We're going to pick up this little, you know, doodad over here. And it might be that that one doodad you pick up, the DM might be like, oh, well, you know, run this check for me or do this for me. It might be that thing you picked up unlocks a side quest for you. It might be, oh, well, this piece here belonged to this person. I'm actually still looking for the other part of that. Ah, oh, you guys look like you're pretty good at finding things. Maybe you can help me find the last piece of this ancient you know, artifact. Boom, you guys have a side quest. You have more story that you've unlocked. More areas that you can go and find more adventure. And the more adventure you can do and the more XP you can gain, or the more milestones that you hit, then the higher level, the more powerful your characters can become especially when it comes time to face the big bad at the end, because there's usually a big bad at the end, you know, the BBEG. You're going to usually fight a boss creature, boss villain, something at the end of a campaign. Not always. The DM might not actually have that in plan for you, but that's usually a big piece of it. And the stronger you can get, the better you can get by that point, then the better it'll be for you. Just make sure that the entire game you're playing your character as you would have your play your character don't play it you know the way and i know this might upset some people matt mercer or one of these famous people you know uh can't even hit you know, anybody else off the top of my head but one of these big famous players would play your character don't play like them play like you if you create this character it's all in your head as to who they are what they would do how they would react and how they actually behave in the world you know for example like we have rupert again here where he's one who hides scraps of food and trinkets away in his pockets he's definitely one who would go into that shop and he would touch the thingamabob he would go and try to actually see if he could secret away in his pocket so he could actually have it for later on whether to sell it or to use it or whatever you need to actually you know put that into the storyline there because you are a character in this whole story you know if you're to attune it to a famous book series that is out there 
you know, let's say about the one about a group of wizards at school. You know, you are one of those wizards at that school. You know, you play it how you would want it to be. You go in and say, I don't like how this person is, you know, acting. I don't like how this person's bullying that person. Here, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to curse him. I'm going to try to do this. You go and you do that. It's then up to the dice roll as to whether or not you succeed or you start burping slugs. That's all a matter of how the dice roll. If you succeed, that bully over there is cursed. You roll that nat one, boom, you're burping slugs. This is the way the dice rolls, and that is the great thing about this game, about how you can have such a very full and luxurious storyline being told through you and your fellow players and your actions and your roles in this game. And then the DM just narrating this gorgeous world around you that they have created in their mind that is something that you now get to partake in and experience and live in for anywhere from an hour to a few hours a night, once a week, a couple times a month, whatever it may be. And that is the great thing about this game here. Now, that pretty much concludes most of our character creation side of everything and a little bit of the actual how to play. And we're going to continue on on the how to play side of things in upcoming episodes here. But we're going to be going into a little bit of the question and answer time here because we actually did get a couple of comments here. And I actually I touched on that a little bit at the beginning of this one with the uh, rules as written for the uh, dice rolls and your ability scores and things like that. And that's something that is actually a big point of contention of what some people have said about how I've told people here in the podcast how to create characters. The statement was that according to rules as written, I'm telling people the wrong way to get their ability scores. Now, that was just a real quick first rundown. Here's like a real basic how you get your stuff. And like answered in this episode here, rules as written does say that you can take your four six-sided die, roll them, take the highest three. There's your ability scores. Do this six times total. There you go. Or you can do standard array. It actually is rules as written. It may not have been in the past under previous versions of D&D, but under the current uh, player's handbook, where you have D&D Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, which is the current one which I'm covering here because that's what most people will be playing with unless they really want to get into the older stuff and play with that or go into Pathfinder or some other variation of a tabletop RPG. The rules as written does allow for standard array. It is clearly stated in the player's handbook. Sorry if that pops anyone's bubbles, but it's there. Sorry. And most people have also asked about the uh, things they've heard about, like rules of lawyers and rule of cool and all that stuff. And you do have people who play those kind of rules uh, ways when you're playing the game. You are going to have people who are the rules lawyer, where it's like, Player's handbook says this. The rules say you can only do it this way. And then you have the rule of cool, where basically if it's true to your character and it is totally cool and a bad A way of doing it, dude, let's roll those dice and see what happens. Because it just sounds awesome and you might just gain inspiration for doing that. And inspiration, that means is you've done something that is true to your character, even though it might be detrimental to the party itself because you're being true to your personality traits, ideal, bond, and flaw. You're like, you're saying, this is 
my character actually doing it as my character would do it, even though it might hurt somebody. And then, you know, there's other ways you can get it as well. But that, if you use that one there, you then have advantage on an attack roll, a saving throw, or ability check. So you can then roll your die and then roll it again and take the higher of the two numbers, you know. And rule of cool, me personally, I'll play by uh, rules as written, which is also just shortened as raw. But I, I also do allow rule of cool. It's like if you're going to do something, it's true to your character, but it is totally cool. And I want to see how this will play out and work inside this particular encounter. By all means, throw it out there saying, I want to do this. And if it falls into those lines, by golly, we're doing it because it'll be cool to see. Now, if you're going to do something that's just completely off the wall and just weird and not for your character, no, we're, we're going to go right back to that. This is the way the rules say it. You're, you're doing this. Like if you're going to be trying to, you know, Spider-Man up a wall in full plate mail as a barbarian, eh, nah, I don't think so. But if you're going to be a nimble rogue who is trying to, you know, like basically parkour his way up, you know, the uh, furniture up onto a chandelier, you know, all of, you know, Viari style from Acquisitions Incorporated. Yeah, I'll probably go real cool on you and say, let's do it. Let's see how this plays out. You know, <laughs> roll me that dexterity check. But, you know, there's different ways of playing. And it really comes down to, are you having fun? Is the table having fun? That's the key thing. That is the main thing to actually look at anytime you're playing this game. Are you having fun? Because if you're not, it's time to change things up at that table. Time to talk to the DM, time to talk to the party and go, guys, you know, this is getting a little, you know, getting rough on me here. You know, how's it going for you guys? Are we having fun? If not, let's come together and let's figure out why and make the changes we need to to have fun because that's what this game's all about. It's all about getting together as a group of friends, new or old, around that table, around that, you know, computer screen, whatever it may be, however it is you're going to play and having fun with it. And if it gets to the point where something's happening inside that game that is making you uncomfortable making so you don't have fun bring it up you know like i've said you know you bring it up either in a role play form or say hey guys <laughs> meta let's talk this out is you know this is getting too weird for me but talk it out figure it out because if you're not having fun chances are someone else isn't either you know it could be even you know dragging on too much of the dm the dm's like okay we're doing this one again okay which then just it translates into the whole campaign if you're not having fun then it's time to just talk about it. Just take a step back. Is it either in roleplay as the characters or as a meta, which means just taking back as being the actual people that you are and saying, look, guys, this is what's going on. You know, I don't like how this is going. This is making me uncomfortable or this is not fun. And every DM I've ever talked to and every time, you know, I've run a game, if it has not been fun, we've worked it out. And there's been a couple of times where it's been like, okay, you're not liking the way this is going because we can't accommodate what you want, then you need to go find a new table. It has come to that a few times, but it's still meant to be fun, no matter what. So that right there, that concludes our time for this episode here. Hope you guys enjoyed it and hope you guys learned a little something. And do me a favor, go ahead and drop me a uh, rating on the, the podcast here. You know, I'd love to get a five-star rating from you, but... If there's anything that you want to see done better or you want to hear a specific topic, because this is, you know, a D&D &D talk type podcast, 
where we are going to be adding in the gameplay, which hopefully I'll get some more gameplay in for the next episode. Just, once again, did not have time to actually record any gameplay this week for this one. But just go ahead, drop a uh, rating for us. Also, give us a review. That'd be fantastic. We would love to hear from you how you're enjoying it. But also share this with your friends. If you have somebody who just wants to know a little bit more about how to play D&D and they don't really want to read the books or they pretend prefer to listen to things more than to be reading them let them know hey this guy over here the waiting horn tavern you know he explains it all simply easily you can just sit down real quick listen to it listen to it again if you want you can get the basic information just make it nice and simple hopefully easy to then create your first character and then we can ease you into the play of it as well and You've also heard so far a little bit of the basic gameplay as you had Rupert and Christopher working their way through the crypt, which will be returning very soon. But in the meantime, from all of us here at the tavern, thank you for coming in and joining us this evening. And we will see you the next time you come through our door.